It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and realagriculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Monday edition of the show. Thanks so much for making Real Ag Radio and Rural Radio 147 a big part of your workday. And a big shout out to everybody listening out there on the Real Ag Radio podcast. You're in Canada, the U.S., or beyond. It is great to have you listening to this show. Hope you had yourself a great weekend and uh, harvest. Oh boy, lots of harvest dust in the air. There is no doubt about that. And uh, hopefully, got all the work done that you needed to get done. Everything went as smooth as possible. And hopefully, you're able to get your parts for your combine if you're broken down a little bit better than the Prime Minister is in India with his plane. I think they're flying over a technician and a part. <laughs> you know, we were talking in the office here. That part, like to keep that plane grounded, you can't fly home from the G20. That part better be important. Like it's like a piece of the wing or the motor doesn't run or I should say engine on the plane. But you know, you know what I mean? It, it shouldn't be like the pillows aren't fluffed. The pillow fluffer is missing and we need a new one. Or like... The, the the beds in the front don't fully, or the, the chairs don't fully recline to a full bed business. Something, it better not be that. It, can you imagine the embarrassment of that? As if it's not embarrassing enough to play. I don't know, what, what is this part? They had to fly it all the way from Canada. You'd think that there'd be some, there's a lot of aircrafts out over those parts way to India. You'd think be a little bit close. Who knows what the details are? Anyway, hopefully you had yourself a great weekend. Uh, it's Agronomic Monday here today on the show, so Peter E. P. Johnson will be with us, and we're going to discuss all things agronomy. We've got some audience questions today about a future career in agronomy. Uh, we got a question about some bent wheat in Alberta and a whole lot of other subjects as well. We're also going to hear a product spotlight today with Tom Ernst. He's with Corteva. And we're going to talk about clubroot and how it impacts your canola hybrid selection here this fall. Things to take into consideration and incorporate into your plan. We'll also have some time today for the top ag news stories of the day. If you have any feedback on today's show, we'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all the different social media platforms. And make sure if you do go to our YouTube channel, you click subscribe. Become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. That way you don't miss anything. And uh, great to have you a part of that community as well as here. Or you can call the Real Ag Feedback Line. It is 855-776-6147. That is 855-776-6147. On Friday's show, we were talking about this trade dispute on importation of New Zealand dairy products into Canada under the CPTPP. Got an email here from Donnie who says, uh, long and short of these disputes, Canada's giving the access to help to the dairy products, mainly through Canadian processors who are bringing in low end products with low profit margins. New Zealand and the US want their processors to get more of the pie of the amount allowed into Canada so they can push in higher end, higher profit products. They can already dump the cheaper products into places like China, etc. 
Hey, appreciate the email, Donnie. You know, that makes sense to me, the way you're describing it. It, it. It's interesting that it's it's displayed or talked about on a percentage basis. And so are there are there pieces or are there written words in terms of how much of those higher end margin items will be allowed into the country? Or is it just here's the percentage of say 3% and that's what it is. And the Canadian processors and Canadian government are deciding what, you know, they're making those tariff rate allocations. So are they supposed to be providing more of an allocation to some of those higher end products or higher margin items, I should say? That's the question that I would love to have answered, but I really appreciate your email. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we got Peter E.P. Johnson here. We're talking all things agronomy here today on the show. We'll be right back right after this. Does your end stabilizer contain an active ingredient load high enough to be agronomically effective? If not, it could be costing you time and money. If you're putting down a nitrogen stabilizer, put your trust in Coke Agronomic Services. Solutions like SuperU, Tribune, and Anvil. Each delivers high active ingredient concentrations that low-rate products just can't match. Compare how imitator products stack up to agronomically effective solutions at defendyourn.ca. It's time for today's product spotlight and join me on the line, Tyler Gullen for New Farm. Tyler, it is time as harvest wraps up to talk about what we can do in the fall to save us some time in the spring. Number one, what's on our list? You know, that fall spraying could really be a great start for next spring. And, you know, in particular, if you can spray a soil residual product, uh, Valterra or Fierce herbicides, uh, they both provide up to eight weeks of residual control next spring to control those tough weeds you have, you know, if it's kochia, lamb's quarters, things like that, to, to really control them right as they emerge in the spring. You can apply them with a, just a regular sprayer, and you don't incorporate them. So it's a really nice option to really get that true single pass for fall spring. And they do have a lot of cropping flexibility for next spring when you fall apply. All right, where can producers find more information about Falterra and Fierce? You can go to newfarm.ca slash fall apply or give us a call at 1-800-868-5444. Welcome back to Agronomic Monday here on Real Ag Radio. You know, imitator stabilizer products claim dual protection, but do they actually deliver? Defend your UAN from nitrogen loss with Tribune Nitrogen Stabilizer from Coke Agronomic Services, offering superior above and below ground protection. See how others stack up at defendyourin.ca. Okay, let's bring him in. The man, the myth, the legend, the loud guy himself. It is Peter Weepy Johnson. Hey, Pete, how's it going? <laughs> it's going awesome. Thanks, Sean. And you got it right. The loud guy, that that one was right. The rest of it, I'm not so sure. But uh, mm. no, life... Life is good. Uh, soybeans are coming. Edible beans are coming a bit slower than we'd like, but we're getting into harvest. Early reports on yields on the edible bean crop have been outstanding where we didn't have, you know, too much water damage. So life in general is okay here in uh, Wheat Pete's world. No, well, that's good. You had to give yourself a good weekend? Had an awesome weekend, Sean. Spent the weekend in Ottawa, just the way it worked out. Went down there uh, with uh, Sheila and... Uh, Rob and Bev, good friends of ours, and we toured the Diefenbunker Museum. And if you have never toured the Diefenbunker Museum, our tour guide was ex-military, 83 years old, and still doing tours there. It's actually run by volunteers, if you can imagine. 
But but man, if you don't know that story, because I didn't, and it's just a cool place to visit. Well worth uh, driving a little bit out of your way and and spending it. It takes at least two hours, if not three or four, to go through there. It's just cool. No, oh, very cool. I I know that uh, I have been to the Churchill bunkers several times in London, like twice. That's a great museum. So cool. Yeah, it's neat. I've been, been there as well, and yeah, that that place is amazing as well, man. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, harvest progressing definitely out in Western Canada. You know, I, I'm looking at the Saskatchewan crop report, and uh, the province is 51 percent complete harvest. That's up from 33% last week. And uh, what does it say here? It's ahead of the five-year average of 34% and the 10-year of 33%. So eh, what yields, the crop report says that adverse growing conditions are across province this year are apparent as producers are seeing varying yields from all crop types. That's what I continue to hear, Pete, is people saying like, you know, field to field, depending on how I did in the weather lottery, with rainfall, it's it's really providing a high level of variability when it comes to some of the crop yields in some of these dry areas of Western Canada. Yeah, and and that's just the way life goes, right, Sean? If you don't get any moisture uh, here in Ontario, in places we've had too much moisture, yeah. so it's it's really they're famine. But when you don't get rain, it's pretty tough. And and again, you just got to kind of. Try and, and make sure that you don't put all your eggs in one basket from that perspective, because I think the rains came a bit later in the soybean crop, from what I'm hearing, and some of the edible bean crop as well out there. The yields are pretty darn solid, so they just need rain at a different time than wheat or canola. Yeah. Well, you know what? Hey, let's talk about seeding rate trials. Now, uh, I think it was Vatterstad that had talked to you about some trialing you've been doing in, around Saskatoon in terms of uh, seeding rates. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so really cool stuff. They're working with the University of uh, uh, Saskatoon, rather, uh, University of Saskatchewan at Saskatoon, and and they're looking at, at narrower rows because from a weed control standpoint, narrower rows work a bit better, but seeding rate they're just trying to sort out can we get more heads and at the end of the day what's really amazing is that their highest seeding rate which if i recall correctly was 38 seeds per square foot they actually had less final heads and not statistically but a little bit lower yield than they did at 31 seeds which was kind of the top and then i think it was 24 or 25 seeds per square foot uh, was just almost equal to 31 seeds, but it really drives home this whole thought process because they were dry. And when it's dry, if you seed too many seeds, you get too much plant to plant competition and it can actually hurt you. And that's why the people in the really dry areas, I had a grower in, in Montana reach out to me and say, okay, dry land wheat, Pete, what do you, what do you think? And I said, well, how much rainfall and he came back, he said, five inches. And I'm going, like, seriously, you're going to try and grow wheat on five inches of total precipitation? Like, we need eight to do it. But if you're going to do it, then probably the right seeding rate is, is cut way back, go back to 15 seeds per square foot. The problem is that when you get the rain, 15 seeds won't cut it. You really need more than that. But if you actually only get five inches, 
low seeding rates win. And the, I, I'm pretty sure Batterstadt's going to repeat that study at least one more, if not two more years. It would be great to do it at more sites as well. But it's always a moving target, and there's always lots of discussion. In Western Canada, there's some places they want to, you know, up, up, up that seeding rate, get rid of those tillers. We don't want tillers. Well, yeah, you get a dry year, that can actually work against you. Yeah, you know, and if, of course, if you're on irrigation, then yeah, you can really pump that seeding rate up as, as high as you, as you want. So curious, when you talk about narrower rows, what spacing were they talking? So if I recall correctly, there's seven and a half inch spacing, the same way uh, spacing that we would be here in southwestern Ontario. Of course, you know, some of our really aggressive producers now are going to five inch spacing, but uh, yet they were they were just using a Batterstadt drill at seven and a half inch spacing like we would have here mm-hmm. and trying to try to sort out how, you know, with the narrower rows, can we push a little bit more seeds? But right now you wouldn't think so. Now you mentioned there has been, you know, in some parts a little maybe too much rain, but you know what what we have seen this year in Ontario, we're going to get those AgriCorp numbers, I believe, today. But uh, we could be in for a new record yield for wheat in Ontario. Oh, Sean, you know I might have to retire because, dang it, way back long ago, and I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I said if we had a million acres of wheat in the ground that averaged 100 bushels per acre, that I would retire. <laughs> and so right now, we did have over a million acres of, of winter wheat in the province in 2023 for the 2023 harvest. And early the early number that was tossed out was 100 bushels per acre. Now they round in that number. So that means it could be anywhere from 99.5 to 100.4. And that wasn't the final number. So we still have to wait to see where it shakes out. But the previous record was two years ago, or no, last year, rather, last year, 2022, 99.7 bushels per acre, which is a massive step forward from where we had been before. I think the previous record was 97 and but. Before that, 95, but mostly we'd been running 10-year average, kind of 90 bushel per acre. And you wonder where this extra yield is coming from. And if it's, if it's just higher carbon dioxide levels, if it's more intense sunshine. But uh, officially, I might have to retire. Although, in my defense, whenever I say that, there's always someone in the audience that says, Well, Pete, you said that in 1996. With inflation, that's got to be at least 120 bushels per acre a wheat yield. I, I love how there's a possibility. No one's going to call you on having to retire. Like you, you had your fingers crossed when you said it. Yeah, no, I didn't. At that point, we were a long way from 100 bushels per acre. I think we did get a record that year that I first said it at something like 91 or 92 and and so, uh, you know, it was just, it was aspirational and it's okay, Sean, I, I still may not retire even though I said I would. So there you go. <laughs> hey, um, a, a lot of the talk around uh, Eastern Canada is the corn finishing. That's a big topic. We, you and I discussed it last week, even rolled into the farmer rapid fire on, on Thursday. Any updates on what your predictions are based on the forecast? Uh, so, you know, I'm pretty... <laughs> I wish I could be more positive because last week I was really positive. The forecast was for above normal temperatures. And by the way, both Environment Canada 
and NOAA, the U.S. Environmental uh, Forecasting Service, both of them were above normal temperatures. And then after you and I chatted and after Wednesday when I did the word, man, the forecast for this week has just changed. And we have some nighttime temperatures at 6 and 7 and 8 degrees here in Ontario. The science says every time it goes below 9 Celsius at night, we lose that day, the next day. And so I don't want to see that. Plus, our high temperatures that were kind of forecast at 28, 29, man, they've backed off to 21, 22. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried yet. But it looks like it's going to take longer, given the today's forecast, than it did given the forecast a week ago. So I, I hope me saying that you know changes the forecast again and we go back hot. But I, I did have actually a question from a grower, Sean, come in, and they said, "Well, how does how does 2023? Because because their corn in particular, we talked about this hint of dint on August 31st. Mm-hmm. Their corn was not even even close to that, right? And they said." Well, I was 17 in 1992, and I can remember that the corn didn't mature, and we were combining it in the spring and, and knocking it down. And, and, like, how does 2023 compare to 1992? And I threw that question out, and, of course, my great friend, Nature Nut Nick, comes back. And so in at Strathroy, where he farms in 1992, we only had 2,354 heat units. In 2023, we're at 2,566. So we're basically 200 heat units better than 1992. I think you pretty much throw the 1992 disaster out of your brain and say that ain't going to happen this year. Hey, I want to mention the agronomist coming up here tonight. So 8 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Mountain. You can find it at realagriculture.com slash live or on the Real Agriculture YouTube channel. Tonight's agronomist topic is the term of weeds tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, they've got Rob Miller from BSF and Patty Saladuka from Adama, Canada. So make sure you tune in tonight. And of course, you can get your CCA CEU credits for joining the show. They're talking about fall weed control, which uh, as Pete always says, fall's the time to take care of some of those pesky weeds indeed. We'll be right back with more of Agronomic Monday here on Real Ag Radio as we talk about some bent wheat in Alberta right after this. What's next for your fields? At Pioneer, delivering industry-leading genetics drives everything we do. From the scientists in the lab to our local teams with boots on the ground, we are determined to get there first. Developing top-performing products, proven in more growing conditions than ever before. Pioneer. What's next happens here. Visit pioneer.com slash Canada to learn more. Now, there's a reason we call it the Corn School. Videos on everything from planter setup, weed control, field trial results, yield strategies, and so much more. The Corn School on realagriculture.com has the information and advice you need to help you succeed. Brought to you by Pride Seeds and BSF, Corn School episodes are available at cornschool.com, from realagriculture.com, or as a podcast from your favorite streaming service. Download the latest podcast today. Looking for robust, reliable grain storage solutions? AGI leads the industry in quality, innovation, and offerings to protect your investment. 
Designed for exceptional clean-out, superior strength, and unbeatable versatility, you can rest easy knowing your grain is secure in an AGI West Steel bin. With 100 years of manufacturing experience, AGI West Steel bins will exceed your expectations for reliable storage. AGI West Steel. Long-term safe storage. Find AGI at your local dealer. Welcome back to Real Ag Radio here on Agronomic Monday. This segment's brought to you by Granubor from U.S. Borax. Ask for it by name. Make sure you go to borax.com. I'm joined by Peter Wee Pete Johnson. He's parked somewhere on the side of a field. What, you're scouting edible beans? Is that what you're doing, Pete? Yeah, I am scouting edible beans for, for burn down. And I'm also, you know, checking out, you talked about fall weed control. And I've got a bunch of wheat stubble with red clover in it. So I'm also doing that while I'm out and about, and also I'm looking at corn maturity. So well, today is a scouting day for me because, as you know, the Canada's Outdoor Farm Show starts tomorrow, and that's gonna that's gonna tie me up for uh, most of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Unfortunately, nice. And I, hey, I should mention, um, I think we're gonna have uh, someone on from Pride tomorrow on the show. Pride Seeds is the sponsor of RealAgriculture.com's coverage of Canada's Outdoor Farm Show here in 2023. You'll be able to find all of our videos that Burns going to be on site, on location, filming, and of course we podcast all that that uh, content as well. Put it at RealAgriculture.com. It's on the YouTube channel. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And Pride Seeds is the sponsor of that coverage. So big shout out to them for uh, once again uh, supporting Real Agriculture and uh, Real Ag Radio in a in a big way. Okay, let's talk about this bent wheat. You had a, an email from a listener who's in Alberta, and they've got some bent wheat. Describe the situation to us and what's creating the problem. Yeah, so it's really, really interesting. And by the way, Sean, we have yet to figure it out. So an agronomist reached out from Alberta uh, and just individual stems, and they're bent, and they actually are bent so much, and it's, it's a bend seems to always be because you know we we stop and we say wait a minute this is really weird so we got to go right back to square one and use our critical thinking skills and ask lots of of what seem to be pretty simple questions but every bend is the same direction so they all bend if you know if you're looking down the row they don't bend down the row they don't bend let's say to the left they all bend to the right and the bend is always you know kind of in that that, uh, what would you say, 135 degree range. So they've gone from straight up. They're not perpendicular to the ground. They're growing back down to the ground and the head is, is, you know, gets pretty close to the ground. And the bend is always at the base of the, the internode that the head is on. So the base of the peduncle, if you will, but right down. And what's the leaf sheath is straight up the the flag leaf is fine. It's it's horizontal, just like it should be. And you just go, wow, man, like what is going on here? So we've worked through kind of herbicide applications, fungicide applications, drift. And it's like it's so specific that you think it's got to be related to a particular event. And you think it's really got to be environmental because otherwise – like, it's like it came on the wind and the wind was blowing one way and it affected the elongation of the cells in that part of the stem or 
it would have been random in, in terms of how it bent. But why some plants were affected and other plants weren't, and why it's that whole field and no neighboring fields, and you just go, yeah, this is cool stuff with no answer, at least to date. And by the way, Arinsky, the agronomist, she's reached out to lots of experts in Alberta as well. It's so cool that, that we see these things, and at the end of the day, you just kind of got to go, well, it's a biological system, and we ain't got it figured out yet. And sort of like me when I golf trying to replicate, you know, 300 yards down the middle, it's hard to replicate. I just wish I could actually do that one, Sean, so I could hope to re- replicate it. <laughs> now, if you if you wanted a left-handed slice replicated, I'm your guy, Pete. I'm your guy. Yeah. Well, I, I'm probably the right-handed slice, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we couldn't share a cart. We'd be all over the map, but it's, we're going side to side. We're, we're driving twice the distance of the course if you and I were playing together. I am... I am sure. And, hey, you know what? If, and if out in your fields, if you do ever see a, an issue like that where you, you don't know what's causing it, or you want some answers, maybe uh, try to try to find some of those answers. You know, make sure you reach out to Peter and myself, and we'll give you a hand uh, best uh, we absolutely can. Uh, my email address is shaney at realagriculture dot com. Fall armyworms. Are you seeing some populations? So, yeah, Ohio State is reporting really high catches of fall armyworms. So, Sean, when I'm stopping at my red clover fields right now, I'm going in, I'm looking to see if I can find fall armyworm because the Ohio State catches are right on the southern edge of Lake Erie. So it's not a very big jump to get across to Lake the, the northern edge of Lake Erie. And we have seen fall armyworm as as we've gotten longer seasons and, you know, our seasons, we've gained one day every four years, one frost-free day every four years here in Ontario. And the story is reasonably similar for most of Canada, maybe not exactly that, that number. But as we've gotten longer seasons, all of a sudden, fall armyworm can get to be a real problem. So if you have oats out there that you're looking at for forage or red clover or something like that you just got to pay attention they are catching high levels uh, and not every county but certainly some some very high levels in a couple of hot spots and that's sort of how fall armyworm work uh, their moths come in just like you know common armyworm true armyworm like on on the trade winds from the united states they're part of free trade if you will <laughs> that we might not want unfortunately but yeah yeah uh, t- you know Scout, scout, scout. That's all I can say. And while you're out there scouting, if those oats are for forage, now's the time to spray them with a fungicide because the rust is starting and it really decimates that oat uh, cover crop if, if you're going to take it for a hay crop, you know, in, a, in three or four weeks. Pete, totally shifting directions here, but I got a, a note from a listener named Sarah whose daughter is interested in becoming an agronomist. Okay. And she's asking, do you have any suggestions on the school path that she should take to become an agronomist? Do you have any? That's that's way off topic, but you may have some thoughts here. Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to be a, an agronomist, what do we deal with? We deal with the environment. We deal with the soil and. We, we deal with diseases and, and kind of a lot of chemistry as well when we get into, into nitrogen and how it works in the soil. 
So you sort of say, man, if you want to become an agronomist, you're going to focus on the sciences. You're going to focus on geography, on, on the earth sciences as well, if you will. You're, you're not going to focus as much on history. No offense to history, but it's not quite as, as applicable in terms of where you're going to go in that agronomy uh, uh, job down the road, right? Like it just, I love history, but, but I rarely get to apply it when I'm out there in the field, whereas my basic science, man, I apply that all the time. Or, you know, the geology of how, how did these soils form? And if you're in, in North Dakota or South Dakota, boy, one side of the river is totally different to the other side of the river. So you kind of got to have that geology background to understand how that works. So yeah, and good for her, by the way, or him to, uh, you know, to anybody wants to go into agronomy, do it because it. There's not, in my opinion, there's not many jobs that are that are more interesting and exciting and change every day, and that's just fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would also add in there because a lot of depending on which you know, if you're working for yourself or you're working for a company, especially if you're just starting out, you're more likely to probably work at a, a retail location or for an agronomist network. Might be not a bad idea to try to take some electives that are related to sales and marketing. Right, a, lo- a lot of agronomists cut a lot of their teeth in the area of uh, sales at a retail location to, to begin with. Yeah, hundred percent, Sean, and and that's it, good that you pointed out because you know Johnson never never ended up in that area to be honest. Because I I kind of went to government. That's where I I learned my agronomy or I developed my career, and my my selling skills are horrible. Just take a look at my grain marketing, and you'll know how horrible my selling skills are. But uh, that's uh, you are absolutely right. The really successful agronomists, independent agronomists, man, they got to be able to sell their services because that's a big part of. If you don't can't do that, you have no client base. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, I know you're speaking this week at the Oxford Soil and Crop Meeting. What's uh, what are some of your thoughts and your message to the uh, people in attendance? Hey, shit. So tonight, I can't be on the agronomist tonight, Sean, because I have a conflict. I'll have to listen to the recording tomorrow for the agronomist. But yes, tonight is is Oxford Soil and Crop, and it's banter and bragging. So basically, it's questions and answers, and those are, are my most fun sessions. You know, we did Savita last week with the, the titans of agronomy, and people just fired questions at us. And I mean, that is... That is where you really have to stop and back up three steps. They ask the question and make sure you get the background because, you know, sometimes you'll say, oh, well, that answer is simple, blah, 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 blah. And then they say, well, wait a minute. Like, that isn't quite, that isn't quite where we're, we should be going here. So, yep, um, I don't know. I don't know where the questions will come from, but it, it should be fun because it's always fun with, with those kind of question and answer sessions. They are my favorite, bar none. Oh, I'm the same as you. I, I, I remember I did, a, I think I've told the story before, but I did an event with Mazex and we were in Eastern Ontario, can't remember where, but we were in a Legion Hall. And I had a whole bunch of slides. It was like, you know, me giving a presentation about, hey, here's the five things that they need to be watching out for and thinking about and just understanding how they impact your farm business, Okay. I think I got to slide three and one of those was the intro slide. They had so many questions and it was so much fun. 
it, it was great. I, I would love to be able to do that that kind of session more often. I think that, that's in some ways so much. Well, it's one, it's way more interactive, but you learn so much from the audience based on some of their comments and their questions and where it leads to. It, it's a great way to better understand and just in, improve the depth of your understanding of what's happening out in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, gosh, most of the time, if one person has that question, 30 people have that question. So, and you might not think of it because you haven't been in, in that field or you haven't, I don't know, you just, you don't, you can't think of all those questions, but uh, mm. I love it. No slides tonight, John, just the whiteboard and a marker and bring your questions and have at me. Nice. Uh, if you were in attendance, if you're in the crowd, what question would you ask yourself? Wow, that's a great one. So actually, I think I think the question I would ask myself was, okay, Johnson, so, you know, what about seeding wheat? Where is that at? Because we're hearing lots about broadcasting. We're hearing lots about broadcast and incorporation. We hear wheat peat say that, oh, treat like wheat like a real crop. Give, give me the, the best strategy for me as a grower in terms of, having a 2024 wheat crop that absolutely blows the doors off. Yeah. And that would be a fun question to, to walk through. I, I think mine, mine for you would be, and, and this is more of a Western Canadian example, but we, we've got a number of acres where, you know, three out of four, four out of five, five out of six have been very dry and, and starting to think like, okay, eventually this has to really break, but our, <laughs> Are there practice changes or just system changes? And I, I don't have any ideas here. I'm just very curious. Are, are there things that I can do differently that I should be doing differently if if this drive bias does if this does kind of continue? Because I can't, you know, what what I'm currently doing, I feel like I'm really up against the wall and can't seem to produce, you know, nowhere near what my expectations are and what this land is capable of, but you got to have moisture to do it. So it, it, until this dry bias changes, there are things that I should do differently. That, that's the one I would throw your way. Yep. Well, I have some, I have some thoughts right out the gate and then you and I could argue about my thoughts and whether or not they're actually practical, but you know, early seeding, taking use of that early moisture, um, timely, like cut back your nitrogen. Cause you don't know how much, how much, water you're going to get i think i think there's definitely some management things that growers could do that uh, and maybe they're already doing those but there there are some definite things that you should look at would you what about would you reconsider summer follow chem follow Go, going back to more of it so my answer is going to be no because i just whenever we do that we really we really give up a lot in terms of of organic matter in terms of soil structure. I mean, chem fallow is better than tillage fallow, yep. but with chem fallow, then we just promote resistant weeds because the weeds are going to try and fill in that bare dirt. And so I'm going to try to keep continuous cropping as long as I can, because I, I just think that's a better strategy. You know what, how, and I think why, how some people are kind of, they don't go back to chem fallow too. On top of that is that, that that's the year will rain. Right? 
Oh, yeah. If you went back to 50-50, that's the year it's going to rain. And then you're going to be like, what the heck am I doing? So I think that's also a, a, definitely a barrier to change. Hey, Pete, have yourself a great week. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Very, very much appreciate it. And uh, have fun at that outdoor farm show. Thanks so much, Sean. You as well. Have a great week. And I'm sorry you won't be at the outdoor farm show, but... We'll talk to Brad and, and Burn anyway. Yeah, I'll be there in spirit. I'll be there in spirit. Hey, when we come back on Real Ag Radio, we're going to hear from Tom Ernst of Corteva. He's going to talk about club root and how that should factor into your canola hybrid selection this fall. You're listening to Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147. Dedication. Watching the sunset over your crop is one of life's simple pleasures. The anticipation of it all. We know that feeling. Introducing our new Airflex NXT, our best honeybee header yet with the closest cut ever. Light, fast reacting, and infinitely adjustable. More yield, less time, and work. Airflex NXT focuses on the future. What drives your next? Visit honeybee.ca or contact your nearest honeybee dealer. The Advancing Women Conference, the National Leadership Conference for Women in Ag, is celebrating 10 years of bringing women in ag together. Whether you're a producer, student, entrepreneur, representative, a grower association, or corporate agribusiness, invest in yourself in Niagara Falls on November 19th, 20th, and 21st. Visit advancingwomenconference.ca for more information and to register. Welcome back to Real Lag Radio. It's now time for a product spotlight with Corteva. We're joined right now by Corteva Senior Research Associate, Tom Ernst, based out of the Edmonton area. Hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you here, man. We're going to talk about a really important topic, especially for that region where you're located, but there are others, of course, as well on the Western Canadian prairies. We're talking about club root today. Now, Tom, fill us in. Give us an update here based on 2023 information. Where in the prairies has club root been most prominent? Yeah, I mean, so our survey results are still kind of based out of the end of the 2022 season, but uh, it's kind of as you, you outlined there. I mean, we're looking at most of the clover being found still in the Edmonton area, uh, throughout Alberta. It's been spreading, you know, but we're still, we're starting to see cases in kind of northwestern Saskatchewan, uh, more and more often and, and actually kind of across the prairies at this point. Um, yeah, it just still continues to spread pretty steadily each year. Um, and yeah, like I said, the, like you said, the Edmonton area, you know, the Duke County, Sturgeon County still have the highest number of uh, cases as far as I'm aware. Now, when we think about best management practices and trying to be proactive here, of course, you know, what, 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 what should growers be doing in terms of having those proactive best defense strategies against club root coming into their fields in their area? Yeah, good question. I mean, a good IPM strategy is still your best bet. Like, uh, taking everything you can do to kind of manage the diseases is probably your best bet. Um, I can't understate how important, you know, going in with a good rotation, uh, makes a difference in terms of, you know, the amount of inoculum in the field, the amount of spores that are available to cause infection. So 
you kind of extend out your rotation. Uh, you can kind of help manage the inoculum load in your field. Uh, next, you know, you, you also want to kind of keep it in one spot. So anything you could do to kind of prevent the spread of soil, whether it's equipment sanitation or um, even working fields that, you know, have had club root on them last and, and kind of anything you could do to prevent soil movement um, goes away in preventing the spread throughout your farm or throughout the region. Uh, and then good deploy- deployment of good resistance genetics. Uh, it's kind of like the cornerstone of our covered management at the moment. Um, yeah, choosing, choosing good, effective resistance for your area, uh, deploying resistance uh, just in general uh, is probably a big part of that IPM strategy. Now, why should growers use clubroot hybrids if their land doesn't traditionally face some of that clubroot pressure? What's the reasons there? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, like, early on in the outbreak of clubroot, we we didn't have access to clubroot-resistant hybrids, right? And so what was happening is you'd grow a susceptible variety on your field, you know, clubroot would be either present or introduced, and you get this huge explosion of the amount of club root resting spores or, or the inoculum that was in the field uh, just because when confronted with club root, the plants just produced more and more and more of, uh, you know, galls and then the spores afterwards. And so the idea is if you stick uh, a resistant variety in a field that has never seen club root before, if it is introduced, then you don't get that or much less likely to get that initial infection that will just explode in the field. And, you know, even from a single gall, you can produce billions of spores. So, you know, those little infections that happened originally, uh, deploying a resistant variety to kind of prevent them helps manage that initial, you know, blow up in, in uh, resting spores that have happened in some of the areas around Edmonton, for example. Now, wh- where should growers be looking to seek some guidance and information regarding club root? Yeah, so uh, you can contact your local sales rep uh, or the retail channel where you, where you purchase your seed. And there's a lot of really good information out there on what kind of resistance genetics are in um, each one of these, you know, club root packages and in, 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 in each hybrid. Um, for Corteva, for example... You know, we're, we're looking at multiple different um, clubber resistant packages. And what we're aiming for is to actually have uh, the ability to deploy different resistance and kind of a resistance gene rotation. And so the information about, you know, what resistance genes are effective in your area or against specific pathotypes, that information is all available through your, your retail channel or through your um, sales rep. And uh, I encourage people to check it out because you can make quite a bit of an informed decision on what resistance might be effective in your area, you know, what resistance genetics to switch to, to mix it up, uh, to keep the pathogen guessing and not, not you know, pr- probably try to prevent those race shifts that we've been hearing about in the field. Well, Tom, very, very important information because we're <laughs> harvest is here, but... You know, we're at that time period where people are doing their canola hybrid selection for next year, or it's it's quickly upon us. So, these are important things to consider when uh, selecting those hybrids. So, Tom, thanks so much for joining us here today on Real Ag Radio. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. We'll be right back here on Real Ag Radio right after this. 
At Brett Young, we focus on what's real. It's how we became Canada's largest independent seed company. That's why we're asking a real farmer, what do you think of BY6217TF, Brett Young's TrueFlex Canola Hot? What's that? <clears throat> BY6217TF, Brett Young's TrueFlex Canola Hybrid with Pod Defender Shatter Reduction Technology and Defender Rated Club Root and Black Leg Resistance. Uh, good yield, yeah. Probably choose it again. Thanks, Chris. Talk to your Brett Young retailer today to see for yourself. Brett Young, distinct by design. Introducing the all-new Zerion 12 Series Tractor by Kloss. Redesigned from the ground up to redefine the high-capacity four-wheel drive market with 653 max horsepower, industry-leading hydraulic flow, a silky smooth CVT, a powerful TerraTrack undercarriage, and a quiet, comfortable cab with 20% more legroom. More than just power. The all-new Zerion by Kloss. It's now time here on Real Ag Radio for the top ag news stories of the day. Brought to you by Alliance Seed and CDC Endure Oats. Top yields, excellent disease resistance, and the quality end users ask for in one great oat variety. CDC Endure is available through Alliance Seed authorized retailers. And uh, make sure you check out their website. Talk to some of those authorized retailers and ask them about CDC Endure. Be interested to see, do we see the oat acre rebound in 2024 in Western Canada. Probably a little bit too early to tell at this point, but if you are thinking about seeding some oats, think about that CDC in Doer. Okay, let's get to it. We mentioned the G20 earlier on in the program, and the Prime Minister is still trying to get home from India, but the G20 seeks to counterbalance China's financial influence with multilateral bank expansion. In a concerted effort, the group of 20 nations agreed to enhance the lending capacity of multilateral development banks with a particular focus on the World Bank. This initiative aims to counter China's increasing financial sway over developing economies, many of which are grappling with debt-related challenges. One should note, in some cases, those debt-related challenges are related to uh, having lots of debt to China. The G20's joint communique emphasized the need for better, bigger, and more effective MDBs, calling for improvements in operating models, accessibility, and substantial increase in financing capacity to maximize development impact. Should note, I've seen a few videos of members of the India media really going after the Prime Minister for his some of his press conference and interaction with Mr. Modi while over in India at the G20. There was a letter by... Uh, but from the Saskatchewan government, I should say, that is incredibly strongly worded. And it really goes out and criticizes the prime minister's, you know, really, I guess, threatening the trade realities between Canada and, and India for some of his rather untimely comments about some of the things are happening in India. So here's the letter. I'll, I'll read you a, a portion of the letter. It is addressed actually to Trade Minister Minister Ng, and the letter is written by Mr. Jeremy Harrison, who is the Minister of Trade and Export Development in Saskatchewan. Of course, India, very, very important trade partner for Saskatchewan with all the pulse crops as, as one example. So uh, I'm going to scroll down to third second paragraph here. 
I wish to also convey our government's deep displeasure that Prime Minister Trudeau has used the occasion of the G20 summit to not seek progress on the EPTA, but instead infer that the government of India does not respect the rule of law as the primary issue that will be raised in bilateral context. It is very difficult to come to any other conclusion than that your government has once again put its own domestic political interests ahead of the national economic interests, particularly as it relates to exports and trade of Western Canadian produced commodities. The letter continues. Clearly, what your government has done has put the already strained Canada-India relationship in even further peril after some improvement following the Prime Minister's disastrous trip to India in 2018. Oh, I forgot about that trip. That's the one where he was dancing. Oh, yeah. I still get asked about that. I totally forgot about it. The letter continues. Given media reports and the pausing of the EPTA, of which we have been very supportive, I am deeply concerned that there will be no further progress on this file. We were very hopeful that progress could be made on access for agricultural commodities and further certainty around the process for application of technical standards as it relates to the same. So there you go. It's uh, Saskatchewan, not happy. And uh, there's a lot of, even in Canada, I've seen a few reports of people wondering, was that really well-timed? And of course, I've seen other people very much defending the Prime Minister that uh, when it comes to human rights, there's there's no such thing as a bad time to bring that up. So uh, take it for what you will, and you discuss, and you tell me what you think about what the Prime Minister did at, uh, over in India. Uh, another thing out of the G20 could we see a change in how Canada is treating fertilizer coming out of Russia? Could we see maybe not a renewal of the tariff, fertilizer tariffs or maybe getting rid of them? Because of the G20, the G20 leaders jointly called for the immediate and unimpeded deliveries of grain, foodstuffs and fertilizers or inputs from both Russia and Ukraine to meet the demand in developing and least developed countries, particularly in Africa. So Canada's the fertilizer the fer- use of the word fertilizer in that statement really pertains to Canada, because Canada, I think, is still the only country that has tariffs on fertilizer coming out of Russia in support of Ukraine. And other countries have pushed back against that, saying that's not right, and it's actually hurting some of these other poor nations, like in, in Africa, as the statement suggests. So we'll see if there's a bit of a change there. Our team is hard at work on that one, indeed. Okay, uh, don't assume that the Bank of Canada is done lifting rates. Read a numerous amount of columns out of Canadian uh, e- economic media from the Globe and the Post. Uh, really seems to be kind of the thought right now is that just because they paused last week, it doesn't mean that's the plan in the go forward. That that seems to be kind of the common thought. So don't don't necessarily get uh, comfortable that we're staying at five percent. It was interesting, and we talked about this I think on Friday's show that. You know, eight, 16 months later, we still have not, according to Real Agri Studies data, we really have not seen a change in the mixture of variable rate mortgages versus fixed rate mortgages. That, that's kind of, I, I thought we would see a little bit more fixed at this point, but uh, clearly that has not happened from the survey that we did there last week. Oil prices were higher Friday with Brent rallying to nine month highs as rising diesel futures lifted prices and increased worries about tight supplies. Both contracts closed higher about 2% week over week. Continues, I keep on hearing from everybody that listens to this show, or many people listen to the show, the concern about diesel prices. And uh, where is the top on that? We have, you know, things have been sliding upwards and uh, something that a lot of farmers thinking about. And of course, you know, going back to, uh, it would be the spring of 22, there's uh, a lot less fuel storage 
in, if I remember right, in Eastern Canada than there is in Western Canada. So that really does also impact maybe some of the Eastern farmers even maybe a little bit more, being a little bit more, I guess, exposed to that, that spot price. Global trade will be less global in the future with exchanges. So this is a story uh, from Pro Farmer. Global trade will be less global in the future with exchanges occurring more within regional blocks, says Holger Schminding, chief economist at Berenberg Bank. It will also shift away from goods and towards services, he added, providing a boost to economies like the U.S. and India that specialize in IT and other services at the expense of manufacturing powerhouses like Germany and China. Well, okay, so now Germany and China were noted, but there's also a graph, okay, and it shows 40% of Germany's GDP is based on merchandise exports. Italy's, uh, I don't know, 32%. Canada's actually 27. They're the, they're higher than China on, on this as a percentage, not in total value, of course, but in terms of percent of GDP, if, if this were to come true and we do see more regional trading than we do in terms of global trade, Canada's economy could be really impacted. Now, truth be told, with our Canada's adjacency to the U.S. that does insulate us a little bit more. But this is one of the reasons why myself, and I, I've heard it from others too, if, if this is the case, we do need to be thinking more as a USMCA Kuzma trade pact, an economic zone, so to speak, more so than we have been, and you know, quit with some of these, in, in some ways, petty fights, and in other ways, resolve the important battles that we have in the trade arena. And uh, start to figure out how we make one plus one equals three, so to speak. So we'll see where that heads in the future. Okay, if you have any feedback on today's show, you can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all of the social media platforms. There's too many to even mention at this point. We are Real Agriculture on all of them. Or, of course, you can always call the Real Ag feedback line. That number is simple. You dial the number, you press the number three, and you leave me a voicemail. That number is 855 Six six one four seven. Thanks everybody for listening today and thanks so much for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio and we will chat again tomorrow. Cheers everybody. Mm-hmm.